Hello, welcome to Vaguely Music. I am Kelsey Jacobson. And I'm Chad Kroger. Uh, I'm Ryan Stumpler. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> and uh, welcome to our third episode. Yep. Excited to have you back if you've been before. And if you're joining us for the first time, welcome to a podcast that is vaguely music related. So far, we've stayed pretty on topic. Yeah. I must say. Yeah, that might derail. Who knows? Time, times will change. Time and exhaustion. There yeah. we go. As, as Bob Dylan said... The times, they are changing. <laughs> um, so we just finished um, a workshop, that a brand new workshop that mm-hmm. we have started at Double Bar. And the premise of the workshop is actually, a, it's kind of a introductory, a introduction songwriting collaborative. Yeah. I would say that, that that's yeah. the general concept. Yeah, because we're not teaching somebody what is a verse and what is a chorus. Like, you know, we're teaching communication on ideas that you already have and how to how to kind of verbalize the daydreaming that you have but it's not like okay so it goes verse then what's a pre-chorus like a lot of uh preconceived notions of song songwriting are kind of in the background of a lot of these students yeah yeah we're working mostly with students that have been capable players have experience performing um a lot of them have experience in groups so the the premise is really more about um songwriting collaboratively rather than just like yeah what's a song or what's a this or what's yeah. that so we thought having kind of gone through the first active day of starting the process of writing that it would make sense to maybe spend today's podcast talking about uh songwriting songwriting yeah so right off the bat um what was the thing that gave you the spark to be like oh i want to write songs was there like some people have like a a day a moment uh, and sometimes it just happens out of a necessity, you know? No, no. So I, I was, I mean, I've always been huge into reading. I'm a big reader. I love, uh, any, anything. I just love to read. And therefore kind of a direct output of that is you generally like to write too. I haven't met too many people who love to read, who don't write at all or don't on, on some level. Um, That's so different from music. A lot of people really like listening to music and have no aspirations to write it. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I'm, I, I'm, yeah, that's really interesting. I've actually never compared that those two things before. Yeah, a lot of people like I can. I yeah, can, no, every, I'd say the vast majority of people. Yeah, because it's funny. Um, you really don't encounter anybody. I can think of one person in my entire life who I like. I was like, so what music do you listen to? And they're like, I don't really like music. Like, yeah, I've actually met a couple of those. I've actually had a couple people like that for students, and that is really hard. That is really hard. Seems, seems weird. I'm taking a cooking class, but I really don't like eating. Yeah, like, I mean, they're never adults, to be fair. So a, okay. a lot of times they're kids, and I don't know if it's um, a parental thing of like, oh, we like to see our kids involved in something or actively doing something, which, of course, there's validity to that. I mean, yeah. it's exposure, and who knows what what your child will be like. This was life changing, but it is very interesting when you get them and they're like, "Oh, what do you listen to?" And they're like, "I don't listen to music." I'm like, "Why are you here?" <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay. But anyway, um, yeah. So I loved reading, always, and there was always music in my family, so it was actually pretty inherent. Like even from when I was little, I was like, "Here, listen to this song I made up." Ta-da! And then I had a friend who was a who was a fiddle player, 
who um, still plays. Uh, she lives in Vermont now. And uh, she, I was taking piano lessons at the time. She was taking violin lessons. And so we would sit down and like she would play like something on mm-hmm. violin and then I would play something on piano and sometimes it would be real wild, but it was fun. So, I mean, it started there and then I always wrote lyrics because it's very easy to write lyrics for a singer. It's not like you you have to like... So that was something that was different because I've, I've been playing guitar um, longer than I, I haven't, um, but I've only been writing words for about six, seven years now. Um, oh. I always really enjoyed singing, but words like kind of just like didn't come. And I remember... I wrote a lot of music and I was in a lot of rock bands and, you know, I had recorded an album already of songs that, you know, like my rock band had written, but, but I never really wrote words. I would always like write these songs or write these riffs and bring them into band practice and then we'd flesh out a song and the singer would come in with a melody and words and everything and we'd, but I never touched, like I might hum a melody, but I never really touched writing words. Oh wow. And then I remember I was, uh, I did a year of community college out of high school to get my grades up so I could go to to music school. And it was that summer. I got into UMass Dartmouth, and I had all my buddies. And we were hanging out in my room, and my buddy had brought over Abbey Road, you know, the the Beatles album. Um, no, I'm not familiar with that. The Beatles, yeah, they're like a little niche band. Yeah, I know. Um, I, uh, I feel like I've heard about punk, them in you know? passing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's like a mix of, like, crust funk and, like, avant-garde jazz. Um. But I had never really listened to the Beatles. Um, my parents had played that song, Birthday, uh, every time it was our birthday. But I had never really listened to the Beatles, and I had actually hated the Beatles through high school. Me too! Yeah. I hated the Beatles. I hated them. Deep hate. Hated. Hated. Deep hate yeah. until I got Abbey Road. Yeah. Until I got Abbey Road. That so, was the game changer. Thank you, Mom. Up in New York at the... Uh, oh, my God. Oh, my God. What was the big music store that was like right in Times Square? Vert- Virgin... No? Virgin Records? Virgin something? Must have been. Uh, it's been years since I went to Times Square. I don't know. So I got this, Legos. I didn't was, get music. So. It was years ago, and it was like huge, multiple stories. I can't believe I'm linking on the name. I feel like I'm right. I don't know. I'm making that up. Someone Google it. Yeah. We'll, Not we'll, me, though. We'll call it New York Music. Yeah. It was great. So, and that was the album. So I was like, I was sitting there, and it was me, my buddy Colin, who was also, he was a prolific songwriter growing up. And so I would play like all the lead guitar parts, and he would like write songs, and and we try to collaborate, and it would work out pretty well. Um, but he was like a main collaborative force, and it was me, him, and a couple other buddies. And he brought over "Dark Side of the Moon," and which I had already heard a bunch and, and studied, and um, Led Zeppelin IV, which was you know a classic in, in our in our repertoire, and then Abbey Road. And I had never thought the Beatles were like anything. My father had the White Album, and I, I really liked "While My Guitar Gently Weeps," but that was it. And he put on Abbey Road, and I remember hearing the song, I Want You, She's So Heavy, the first track on the yeah, album. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it just hit me. And I was like, oh, boom, I'll just write lyrics, and I'll sing. I was like, yeah, John Lennon can do it. And what I love so much, and that's like that's the well for me, um, for songwriting, is like John Lennon is my favorite voice ever um, because it's so straightforward, and the lyrics are just so bare, and the voice itself is like nasally. It doesn't have a lot of depth. And it doesn't have like really any vibrato. And when it does, it's very shaky. And he, he's a little pitchy, but it it forces you to pay attention to the starkness of the lyrics. Well, yeah, I feel like he comes out of sort of that unadorned, yeah. like 60s folk 
music. Like he's very like his voice is very reminiscent of that to me. Yeah, and it's just like it's like these are the lyrics, this is the melody, there's no fluff. This is like I'm telling you this story. And that was again after that I I studied the Beatles like crazy, started writing my own words, and actually that kind of tore the band apart because we had a singer who was way better than me like at singing and writing words. He was he was fantastic, but I was like I couldn't stay in that band forever. You were just wanting to do it. You yeah, just wanted to. Because, yeah, because it was like, I knew there was a personal goal for me that, like, even if the quality of the music I was writing was going to dip. Yeah. Um, because I ha- I wasn't a trained singer and I hadn't written lyrics before and I didn't know, like, how to create a hook or anything like that. Yeah. I knew that there was just, like, a jump I had to make. And, and not everybody in the band, it took a while for the people in the band who are still like my best friends to understand like that it was like guys I got to do this this is my vision like I understand like you don't see it but I, I have to take a leap and so that was big everything else I had written was like collaborative and band stuff yeah I didn't start writing my own lyrics and my own songs until I was nineteen and um and then it just kind of like jumped from there see I think it would have been I took years of piano lessons years from when I was little like one of those instances of like I'm five or six years old and I start taking lessons. But I never was able to like, or I never wanted to. It was not that I was never able to. It was more just like I never wanted to sit down and be like, I'm going to write these lyrics and this melody and then I'm going to play the piano and make a song. Like I just, that never called to me. I kind of wish it did because it would have made like achieving an end product much easier instead Mm -hmm. of like, hold on, I've got like 45 books of song lyrics, melodies in my head, little snippets recorded, but when you don't play the instrument to accompany yourself, it does make it much harder to do something because then you have to bank on, hold on, let me go find somebody who wants to do this. And especially when you're young, like, oh, we're going to stay focused for more than a hot second. So lyrics are an interesting topic. I very rarely uh, write lyrics first. So I... And I'm still kind of accepting that there's a singer-songwriter part of myself. I've always, and I've never envisioned myself as like a solo artist and singer-songwriter. All the songs I've always daydreamed of being with, done with a band. Even if I wrote all the words and all the form and everything, it always just felt like hollow as like just like a, a guitar and voice. It always felt like it needed more lyrics I never started with. I'd always come up with an idea and then hum something. And then you kind of go through that weird state where you're just like, I would just spitball words and then phrases or like I'd drive around and I'd have the guitar part looped and I'd just start humming stuff or whatever phrase came to mind and then you write that down and then that kind of twists. Uh, Do you write like writing words first and then come up with something or is it like... So you know what I think? I think... uh, So I've done it a bunch of different ways. I feel like the best songs that I've come up with have been when someone has actually given me something that I didn't come up with myself like like a not I'm not talking melody but like some kind of musical part that I didn't come up with because that is what jogs my creative mind okay whereas like if I come up with something if I sit down and I'm like I'm gonna come up with a kind of fun chord progression or I'm gonna come up with like this funky melody riff concept I it just it just doesn't go because I feel like it's too much of my my concept or my personality just layering on top of itself in a way that's not good. Okay. Like, 
Do, do you know what I mean? I do. It's just, it's like I keep inadvertently reiterating the same concept because I don't have anything to bounce off of. Yeah. And that, I run it, that's a, that's a consistent thing. So when another musician has been, has been like, hey, I have this thing. Take a listen to it. Give me your thoughts. I can sometimes to like an OCD fault, I can literally go, oh, wow, that's great. And write a song to it. Whatever they send me. Even if it was just like, that was just an idea. I'm like, well, now it's a song. How about that? How about that? Ta-da. Yeah. I, so I, I feel like songs that I write, it's weird. I have like band Ryan where like I have a collection of riffs that I wouldn't really sing to. And then I have like the, uh, another side of me, which is more like the song stuff, which like I'll kind of piece together. Um, and it wasn't until like every band I was in that was playing original music just like broke up or stopped meeting up or whatever, you know, everybody moved until I was like, this is really frustrating because I always like the way I sang for my own stuff, but I never liked the idea of being like the lead singer. Um, so I would come up with all these like kind of mostly like heavier riffs, like more guitar stuff yeah. than like stuff that would be open for, for singers. And I would always be like, well, this is a separate thing. This is a separate thing. It wasn't until a couple buddies of mine were just like, like really encouraged. So like, no, like you should do something over this um, because it's your vision that the two have started to merge. Songwriting is, I always envision it as like little time capsules. Like when I'm writing my own tunes or when I'm writing with other people, that it just feels like little like blips of moments. Like, oh I, yeah, you know. I feel like there's nothing that brings you back to a moment. It's just it's just pure nostalgia of like, oh my god, that song I wrote, and then you instantly remember everything about the song, and you remember why, yep. and you remember how it happened or or what triggered it in the first place or what it ended up being or why you ended up just leaving it behind. Or whatever the case may be. I just feel like it really captures that, like... Yeah. So, one of the things that songwriting... One of the most important things that I can tell anybody who is a songwriter is write like crazy, record it, get away from your instrument, and then listen to it a bunch. And if you can't find out what what's value to you, find somebody who is, like, really honest and then have them talk with you because then your gut reaction will bounce off. Because either they'll say, like, hey, this is good, and you'll be like, you know what? I really don't like it that much. Or, yeah, that is good. Thank you. Or they'll be like, yo, this isn't good. And in something, something inside of you will fight it and be like, no, like, I believe in this idea. Like, this is good. Or you'll be like, yeah, you know what? Like, your inner voice will come out. Not saying listen to that person blindly, but listen to feedback. And then whatever fights or whatever agrees, that's your inner voice telling you. Like, becoming an editor, and this is nice, in our program today, uh, we had the instrumentalist write and then go to a separate spot of the room and just listen. I'm so firm in that idea that you write, 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 write until you're burnt out and you're done writing and record everything like crazy and then go for a walk, go for a bike ride, go for a car ride, even like get your whole band to go for a walk and listen to it. Like get away from the instruments for a little bit, listen to the song four or five times. Your pre-chorus will tell you how many times it needs to be. Like, so many times people need to just get out of the room and listen to what the idea actually is. And you're, you're like, inner musician. Just in the same way when you try to hear songs and you go, like, mm, no, I keep playing that note. That's not the right note. Songwriting is very similar, I feel. Where yeah. you, you listen to it and you're like, every time I hear that, that pre-chorus should be doubled. Well, then you'll double it. Yeah. Yeah, I also feel like from a, from a vocalist standpoint, um, 
people, right? So the, there's that concept of you can't be the create, creator and editor at the same time, right? So, but that being said, I'm, I've always been a big fan of like, okay, you start writing your words, right? You have a concept. And then I start writing a sentence or a phrase. It doesn't fit. And then I'm like, ah, I'm going to build off this a little bit, right? So I like go and I let it tangent off and I let it tangent off. So I end up with a verse that just makes no sense with what I already wrote, right? Mm -hmm. I don't go back and cross out the first verse. Right. Like that, I see so many people doing that because A, you're either going to come up with some cool development that either ties those thoughts together or one of them is going to stick. And at that point, you don't know which one's going to stick. You don't know what's going to come after that. And then that also can be the premise lyrically for a whole separate enterprise. And and I think a lot of people kind of instantly go back and it's just like, oh, no, I'm not using this. So time to erase it and make pretend like it never happened. And I think I've there have been times where I've gone, I've started off with one little blurb, went off on some tangent, felt really good about like that. Yeah, this is it. This is this is the money. And then I go back like 24 or 48 hours later. I'm like, what did I end up doing? We're going to go back to that first verse again. And then yeah. it's like that ends up being the keeper. So just because you end up with more of something else doesn't mean you get rid of it or get rid of the initial idea. I just think there's a lot of like, it's that that edit, cut it out because you don't see the immediate application. Yeah. And sometimes time will, time away from, and then returning to will actually give you a much better insight. And it's weird too, because so I'll do that with like riffs and like, songwriting in order and form with like parts and everything i will definitely write a bunch and then i'll really feel really good and just like be like forget that first part but like there is something to the value of the seedling of like whatever really got the hair raising or like the this is worth diving in i really like this there's a lot of value to the source and sometimes you write a bunch of song that's really good but it doesn't feel like it's from the source and so you have to go back and analyze and be like okay is this what i really like feel like no. Or it's really good, and then you're like, oh, no wonder I thought it was really good. Sounds just so like, like my last, or not even, so, one of your songs. Like It's like, oh, no wonder I liked it so much. It sounded just like this other song that I wrote that I liked so yeah. much. And then you're like, goodbye, throw it away. So when you write lyrics, do you go by more by first person or third person? This is a pretty split camp. I definitely go third person. Third person? So I can't write lyrics third person. I struggle very hard with writing lyrics third person. I like I function pretty well writing lyrics first person. Doesn't have to be a true story, but I work well putting myself or a character resembling whatever um, the main character through that eyes. Yeah. Uh, it is tough for me to do this, the bird's eye view. It is a lot easier for me to be like on the ground floor. Well, see, I mean, I think I think mine is the scapegoat method, which is I can write all about my personal experience, but then I just replace all the eyes with somebody else. So that way I don't have to actually own it. Oh, I'm all about yeah. the self-tweeting. I'm all about the self-tweeting. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, I think that is like, because that, that's, mostly, that's mostly it, I would say. Because it's a lot of personal experience, personal feeling, personal observation, but... I don't know. I, I actually, I think I find it uncomfortable saying like, I, oh, I'm blah, all, blah, blah, I'm all about I. it. Yeah. Yeah. Cause that feels really good to sing. 
It feels really good to sing. It feels a little weird sometimes with stuff you wrote a couple years back, but uh, but that's gonna be anything, you know. You know what? I we were we had a planned uh, yeah. alternate segue, but I want to kind of segue this because I think this actually goes hand in hand really well, which is like the the con like the concept of self promotion and like being okay with like. I, as an original artist, right? Mm -hmm. Like, this is my music. This is what I do, right? So for me, I have always found it so uncomfortable to sell myself. And and do you know what I mean? And there's all the tweet storms in the world. But um, but that that concept of like, this is my idea. This is my this is my concept. This is my product this is my thing and i'm going to tell you all the awesome attributes about it very uncomfortable with that so yeah so that never really bothered me that much other things in life bother me right like I... slugs bother me <laughs> but like but so i'm slugs on a hot summer day yeah. you at least expect them like okay grapefruit leaves like grape leaves bother me right grape leaves like the lebanese like food? stuffed grape leaves uh forget it's it lebanese right yeah I can't do that. But, like, putting myself out there and being like, this is my product, like, because, like, this comes probably from, like, Rick and Jules, uh, my parents, just being like, yeah, you know what? Like, hey, yeah, do it. I mean, go ahead. What are you going to do? Like, I, I was the third kid, so I'm the youngest. There is definitely something to, the, like, the Dennis the Menace syndrome as the youngest that I just feel like, yeah, whatever, I'm going to do it. Like, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? I carry that around where it's like, okay, you feel like you're so calm. Like, this is what I do, and I'm really good at it, and I want to bring a lot of joy, and I'm going to bring a lot of joy, and I'm going to like it. Oh. And if you don't like it, guess what? Like, take my guitar, take my microphone, see if you can do better. You can't sit down, enjoy what I can create. <laughs> like, I carry that around a lot, and it's not just, you know, and it was crazy is that, like, it's not the non musicians that bother me about that. It's not the, it's the, bleeping guitar players in the back with their arms folded yeah like well so and i feel like <laughs> tell, tell you really feel strumpler we're a crummy bunch like no well, guitar players as a breed we're not great none of us can sing really so just like don't knock the other person who can't sing like our fame like Jimi hendrix is the most famous guitar player around he's not the most famous singer like everybody listens to eric clapton and goes i can't wait until the solo comes up like <laughs> This is our breed. Stop judging us. And then, like, every guitar player on the history of the planet is just sitting there with their arms folded. Like, I know if you're listening to the podcast, you can't see it, but I'm, like, leaning back like a total jerk. Like, just being like, yeah, it's pretty good, but I could play it twice as fast and twice as clean. It's just like, enjoy, like, the moment. And the so those well, are the so worst. I feel like that's, that's what's uncomfortable. Maybe that's part of it. So it's like, as always, having been the front person, right, which the demand is – as the front person, as the lead singer, as the this, as the that, you have to sell. Your job is to perform and sell and connect to the people that are not necessarily. Your job is to create the connection from the people that are in the rest of your band mm -hmm. out to your audience or out to your this or out to your that, right? Or um, you just end up being sort of the networking face of whatever you're doing, whatever project it is. And, and, that I mean, that's such a that's such a judgy spot overall. It's very it, it does get very uncomfortable. So that and then obviously being self-employed as a self-employed person, and 
someone who runs a storefront to be able to say, hey, we offer this service. This service is awesome. We're really good at this. Like, oh, that even right now, it, it's, it's just, that's something that's taken so long for me to like kind of get yeah. good at. Yeah, so like I can't even say good. So, so like bookkeeping here or like doing the dishes, like vacuuming, all that stuff took a while. Like still not great. I'm not the best vacuumer in the world. I can live with that. As evidenced by me fixing my vacuum. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Uh, okay. <laughs> Side note, Kelsey spent about an hour and a half and she <laughs> likes to pretend like like somehow like these dudes tortured because nobody had double <laughs> emptied the vacuum. She spent an hour and a half. Like we recorded like some music that day and like three takes, you were done. Like didn't really want to hear it. Like whatever. <laughs> you spent an hour and a half with a vacuum and I've never seen you smile so much in the two years that I've worked at Double Bar. So I don't like, even want to hear that. Yeah, well, I like fixing things. So I so I actually have no problem. Like like the rock program here, which is like the most predominant thing that I, I, I participate in, um, I have no problem selling because I, I know the value of what it is and what it brings. And so when it's like talking about it, it's like, look, people are going to spend their money on whatever they're going to spend their money on. A lot of people. So if you step back and you don't feel like, like if you if you charge what is fair and you step back and you, you're like, hey, look, you could be doing a million other things and you don't have to like my life does not depend on somehow like getting your money or I don't feel like this is a con like. You, well, that's the you know, place, that's a place of empowerment. It's just yeah. knowing knowing that you have worth, whether that particular person needs it or appreciates it or not. Yeah, that's that's the essential. Like that's being able to say, "Hey, okay, here it is. Um, take it or leave it. So, We'd love to have you. We get it if you don't want it. Yeah, see you around. So, like talking about the program and selling that stuff is like that. So selling other things is weird. Selling stuff that I, like, really believe in in life. I've never been a good seller. But, like, this stuff, like, playing music, like, getting up front, talking to an audience, or, like, talking to people about, like, the rock, like, anything like that is really, like, that's not too crazy. Because, like, yeah, I'm really good at what I do. And also, like, the people who I'm with are really good at what they do. In fact, better than me. I surround myself with, like, a lot of incredible people. So you could trust, you could trust that, like, and, you know, I, I know myself that it's like I surround myself with people who have good work ethic, who will go the extra mile and who really care. And it's like, look, there's a lot of things out there that are like competing for your time and energy. Like this is worth it. Like in trust because I, I live a life I feel pretty confident being like I live a life where it's like no need to like BS. So it's like I feel very confident talking to people because they can people read facial cues and moods like crazy. I always tell musicians, people can't tell you when you hear a wrong note, but they can't see your face shrink up. And so when I you know. talk about a program or anything like that, and you're like, yeah, I'm really jazzed about this. This is incredible or anything like that. Or like, hey, yeah, I love gigging. I love this song. I love this. People go like, oh, wow, whatever that is, I want a part of that. And I think that's evident because the rock program has grown so much. Well, and I also think, but there is, I guess... I guess moral of the story is for people who are in that situation where they find it uncomfortable and they're not, they haven't sort of been raised in a way that they are inherently like, no, it's worth it. I got this all day. This is killer. You should do it. Yeah. Blah, blah, blah. Like, I get it because I, I mean, growing up my whole life doing art, I am uncomfortable doing that, but it is a necessary skill. You have to be able to do it if you want to be functional, if you want to do this as a career. 
Um, you have to be able to sell yourself. And then it also has to be, um, it has to be something that you practice enough that you are, you can come off as comfortable doing it. Because like you said, it's like that body cue. If you are not comfortable doing it, people pick up on that weird hesitation. Um, And that's, that's really, I mean, that was something I figured out when I first started teaching independently, marketing myself independently, um, starting a new business that was like, please come to Double Bar, maybe? Would you like to take lessons here, maybe? So (laughs) there is something too, to kind of put a cap on this segment. Um, I feel like it's a lot about like roles and bands, things like that. Um, I will never be the person in in a program that is like, yeah, it's really cool, like very understated. Like I'm always gonna be the jazz guy that's like really confident. That's gonna like my like my mouth is like always. I'm always gonna over speak and be really loud and really brass and like that's just my. But that's honest, right? And that's not for everybody. I'm not for the sell it, fake it till you make it. Like no. put on a face because people read that. So if you're like an understated, you're calm, you're collected, people like calm, collected. If you got a lot of energy, people like, so play to your strengths for any of this. Like when you market yourself and everything like that, play to your strengths. If you're the cool guy that's like really calm, collected, like kind of play the mysterious thing, play to your strengths. Like the audience likes that too. Yeah. You know, if you got a lot of energy and, and also understand that the best thing about selling yourself is you're not going to need to sell yourself to everybody. Truth. You will find your tribe of people. All right, real quick. Strumpler surprise time. Right. What is your favorite animal? Oh, no. <laughs> oh, That's such so a good reaction. Unprepared. All right. I'm so unprepared. I'll give you time. Uh, you go first. All right, I love penguins. That's not a lot of time. That was a very short amount of time. Penguins are fantastic. They're always overdressed. They slide <laughs> in their bellies. They can swim. They can walk. They like, oh, they're just so cool like everything about penguins are just like so bomb like one day i would love to go to the arctic and just hang out with penguins i bet though they it's listen cold. to like a lot of just like real trendy music that i could see that yeah i could like see that penguins are just them like shenazi outfits and then they're just like hey so i've been trying this for this new uh this new overpour and be like, I don't want to hear about how you take your coffee or the new music you listen to. I'm not into the electronica and I'm not into hipster coffee, but I will hang out with you. Okay. I got made fun of this because apparently, so I, this summer I was asked what my spirit animal was and I was going to say a wolf, but then somebody else in front of me said wolf and got torn apart because apparently it's like kind of the jerk answer. Like, oh, you're a wolf, you're a loner and you're whatever. And I was like, oh, I'm a platypus. So I'm going to be, I'm going to claim it right now. I've always loved wolves. I used to buy wolf documentaries and just, well, I I don't know that you call that a documentary. What would you call that? Like a A wolf mentory? I I don't know. But anyway, I'm going with wolf. Yeah. Fun fact about uh, wolves, that whole like leader of the pack, alpha male, all that stuff uh, where they're just, you know, these wolves, people used to use that like uh, um, as like the the alpha male example. They went back and did a study and a lot of the things that they thought were alpha males were just like, were just wolf mothers. So everybody who thinks that they're an alpha male and uses that like wolf milf mentality is actually just like an old mom which is incredible and what a great way to end this podcast we thank you so much for joining us we will talk to you next week